church. It's good to see you guys today. Hope everybody's having a good Sunday morning so far. Um, you know it's going to be a good Sunday when there's Krispy Kreme in the hallway. That's how you know. My personal trainer is here today, and I want you to know I raised my right hand and solemnly swear I did not even take one bite, okay? Um, I'm excited that you're here today. If you're a guest at my church, you're probably wondering what is a woman doing on stage. Well, I belong to the guy who is one of the pastors here, Jeff Murphy. And from time to time when we're in a series, especially one like this that is kind of um, digs into your heart and very emotional, we like to give you a woman's perspective. Um, women, so that the person you're listening to, you know, they do the laundry, they do the dishes, they do everything you do. They wipe the bottoms, all right? Um, guys, chances are you're going to live with one at some point in your life, or at least one gave birth to you, and you need to call her on Mother's Day. So you listen in, too, because you'll get a glimpse into kind of the way we're wired and the way that we think. Either way, I am so glad that you're here. We're in a series that has been outstanding. It's called Hope Again. We're in week three. And in the very first week, I remember Jeff asking the question, how many of you have ever gone through a stage or a season of life where you felt like you were hopeless or you lost hope? I remember the, the first time I ever really felt hopeless in life. I was in the fifth grade. I was 10 years old. It was about that stage when you quit being friends with everybody in your class and you started to form alliances. You know, the mean girl stage. So I was a part of this alliance. There were three of us. The other two girls, they were like Goliath. They were like head and shoulders taller than me. In the fifth grade, I was a late bloomer. So I was like a toothpick with buck teeth. That was me. I think they picked me for their alliance because I helped with their homework. I don't know why. But anyways, we were a team. There was this other group of three girls. They were the meanest girls in the whole school. And I don't know what happened, but one of our three said something, looked wrong at one of their three, and we had a problem going on in the fifth grade. Well, back then, you didn't have Instagram to just defriend them or to post ugly pictures of them. You um, handled your problems a little bit differently. We would meet outside behind the school buses on the playground. After school, good old-fashioned fist fight. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And the playground did not have those soft little rubber chips. I'm talking about concrete, okay? I still have scars on my knees from that concrete playground. So we were supposed to meet them after school, our three and their three. Now, again, I, don't, I know you don't know what I look like. I am a toothpick with buck teeth. The only thing I have to fight with are my buck teeth. I have never fought in my life. I mean, my family is very calm. We discuss things in a very calm. I am scared out of my mind. The other reason I'm scared to death is because the other three, those girls were huge. The one that was a little bit smaller that I was going to be paired up against, her name was Jane Ellen McGann. Meanest girl you ever laid eyes on. She had these claws for fingernails. I thought, surely she's a fifth grader by day and she's Catwoman by night and she is going to claw my eyeballs out. So, I, you know, I'm caught between if I tell my parents or the teacher, I'm not going to have three girls fighting me. I'm going to have five girls mad at me and fighting me. If I go to fight, I'm going to end up with my face and my eyes clawed out. Anyways, you know how that goes in fifth grade. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody was going to meet behind the buses after school. Somebody told the teacher. We all ended up in detention, which was a much safer place for me than behind the buses. And, you know, by the next week, guess what? We were all friends, and we had all joined our alliance together. Well, time passed. It was time to go to the sixth grade. And in sixth grade, you had two options for teachers. I'm not kidding. We had Mrs. Goodson, 
exactly like her name sounds. She was good and she was fun and everybody wanted to be with her. And then we had Mrs. Stone. Mrs. Stone never smiled, never changed her voice. I mean, you cannot crack this woman. She was mean as a snake. Well, at our school, parents could request who you wanted as a teacher. Well, of course, everybody requested Mrs. Goodson. So I thought until the teacher list came out and the, the new five in my, well, four in my alliance got Mrs. Goodson. Jane Ellen got suspended from the fifth grade. Um, and I got Mrs. Stone. I thought my world was over. Again, I was feeling hopeless. It wasn't until years later that I actually found out that my mother requested that I never, ever be put in the same class with those girls again. It really wasn't my choice. Today, I'm going to talk to you about kind of the root issue of where hopelessness starts for us. I think if maybe we can tackle the root issue, it may help us because whether you've been there before, chances are you're going to probably find yourself there again. There's just something about life that can land you in that place. And I want to help you be prepared for it by tackling one of the issues at the root of where disappointment comes from, all right? I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Um, there is a story there about Jesus when he was on earth, and I'm hoping, my prayer is today, that you will get to know what he is like, that you will get to know that he has your best interest at heart, and that when you go through difficult times, it won't be quite so hard to trust that he is good and he is loving, all right? While you're finding Matthew chapter 24 on your smartphone or wherever you want to find it or you can watch on the screens, will you pray with me quickly? And then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And God, I just want to say out loud, um, God, it's not the words that I speak, but your spirit that speaks through me. And so, God, I pray that you would remove my ideas, remove my weaknesses, God. And I just ask that your Holy Spirit would say whatever it is you want to say to these people who are here at this particular hour. Um, I just kind of want to move out of the way and give you permission to do that. Speak to us. God, be our hope in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, in Luke chapter 24, the background to this story is that Jesus has just walked on earth. He literally came and put on a body, walked where we walk, and for 30 years he grew up just like we did. He might have gotten bullied in the fifth grade, I don't know. And then at 30 years old, he starts this public ministry where he's healing people, he's teaching people, he's doing all these amazing things. Well, people started to really put their hope in him. They started to, like, leave their family, leave their jobs, leave what they knew, leave their towns, and follow him. He gained a group of followers or disciples. Now, it's important for you to know that at this time, Israel was part of the Roman Empire, I don't know what happened to me, but somehow I missed world history. I never had it in high school. I never had it in college. So I'm fascinated by it, and I love to read about it and learn it. And so if you'll just go along with me, a little world history lesson that I got a little bit later than everybody else, you're probably thinking, we already knew this. Well, anyways, humor me. They are under the control of the Roman Empire, and that is not fun for them. Like every time they go outside of their house, there are soldiers watching them, watching how they're doing things. There's not complete freedom. And so Jesus' followers, they had believed this promise that one day a Messiah would come and set up a kingdom on earth and give them freedom to worship and 
serve how they wanted to serve. And so a lot of people have begun to put their hope in Jesus. This is our guy. It's about to happen. We're about to get rid of the Romans and we're about to be set free. Only one big bad thing happened. He died on a cross. He died. He was crucified on a Friday. His followers hurried up real quick and buried him on Friday night because the Sabbath was coming on Saturday. And all day Saturday, they probably spent it behind locked doors, crying their eyes out. Our leader is gone. Our hope is gone. Our dream is dead. And then Sunday morning, some of the women who were his followers, they decided we're going to take some spices to the tomb. And I don't know what they thought they were going to do because there was a big stone rolled in front of the tomb. I don't know if they thought they were going to make it smell better or somebody was going to push it out of the way for them. I don't know what they thought. They were grieving. When you're grieving, you don't think. You just do, right? So these women get together and they go to the tomb. And when they get there, if you've ever gone to church on Easter Sunday, you've heard this story. This stone was rolled away. And instead, an angel was there. And this is what the angel said in Luke 24, verse 5. He says, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Those are words that could comfort us. Very often, we look for the living among the dead. In other words, the angel's saying, Ladies, I love you, but you're looking for hope in all the wrong places. Why are you looking for the living here among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Well, women who are already emotional and feeding off of each other, they go running back to the rest of Jesus' followers. And I love this because the Bible just nails human nature and the nature of women right on the head. I mean, this is evidence that the Bible is true right here. They go in. Have you ever, any of you live with more than two women? Anybody? Have you ever heard them all excited and talking at the same time? Yeah, you can't understand what they're saying. Well, they run in, like four or five women. They're all excited. They're all talking at once. There was this guy in white, and Jesus was there. That's what it sounds like. And verse 11 says, the men said, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. I love that. Some of the men went to the tomb for themselves, and they were still confused because Jesus' body wasn't there. Some of them waited in the closed room, but a couple of them decided The dream's over. There is no hope. It's the third day. His body is gone, and they decided to go home. And that's where we pick up our story in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. It says, Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now what you need to know about Emmaus is this. This was a place where a very strategic battle had taken place about 150 years ago. See, for centuries, the Jews didn't have their own country. They were living under someone else's rule. And sometimes during that time, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, they didn't even have permission to worship the way they wanted to worship. Until a guy came along named Judah Maccabeus, and he won a very important victory in this city, in the town of Emmaus. And when he won that victory, they won back their independence and their freedom to worship at the temple the way they wanted to. Many of you would know of something called Hanukkah, right? That sounds a little more familiar maybe than Emmaus. Hanukkah, the celebration of Hanukkah, came out of this battle at Emmaus. And so basically you've got two guys who had hoped and thought that Jesus was their guy. He was going to set up a kingdom on earth. He was going to set us free. But he is dead, 
and hope is gone. And so we're going back to the last thing that we knew where there was hope. We're walking back to Emmaus. That was the last time the Jews had any hope. And on their way, away from what God was doing, back to where they thought there was hope, we pick up our story. It says that they were talking to each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But for some reason, they were kept from recognizing him. I just want to point out quickly that when you feel hopeless, when you feel like there is nothing left for me here, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm just turning around and walking, this is the nature of the God we believe in. Sometimes he will just come himself, and he's just going to walk along beside you. He didn't get mad at him. He didn't condemn him. Why did you not believe? Why didn't you stay in Jerusalem? No pointing of a finger, no getting upset. He just came himself and he just starts to walk with them. And then he starts to ask some questions. He asked them, Why are you, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still. Their faces were downcast. They were sad. They were hopeless. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only guy visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know what just happened in these past few days? I get these questions from my teenagers. Like, Mom, are you the only person on the planet who doesn't know how to do the whip and the nay-nay? Like, no, I know what is going on in important things, but not that. Um, so they can't believe Jesus doesn't, hasn't heard what's happening. And he asked them, what, well, what are you discussing? And they said, about Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And then here comes, in three words, we're going to find the root to much of our hopelessness as human beings. Their next words in verse 21 are this, but we had hoped. See, they had their hearts set on something happening. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's been the third day and his body's missing and nobody can find him since all of this took place. Here is a very harsh reality, but I believe it is the root of much of our disappointment in life. The reality is this, that when what we are hoping for and what God is hoping for don't match up, we're going to get disappointed. You don't have to live very long to figure out you can't control everything in life. I had hoped to be in Miss Goodson's class. That was not happening because my mother had already decided it would never happen. Proverbs says it this way, that many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. If he is God and if he is in control of everything, he is what he's hoping for when it doesn't match up with what I'm hoping for, with what he's hoping for is what's going to happen. Now, before you just like totally check out and think, man, Christy, your God sounds like a bad version of my mother. You get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. And if you ask why, it's like, because I said so. I want to illustrate just a few things, just to kind of open your mind just a little bit on this, all right? What those two guys were hoping for, I'm going to show you on a map. Here's what they were hoping for. You see that little tiny yellow dot in the middle? Those two guys, they were 
hoping that God would rescue Israel, redeem them and save them, that little tiny dot in the middle of the world. Here's what God was hoping for. God was hoping to rescue and redeem the entire planet, the entire world. He was hoping that when Jesus died and the dream died and then he rose again, it would light such a fire under them that they would go out across the world and share. In fact, he explains it at the very, very end of this story. He says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. It's already been written out. God's already decided. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, not just Israel. So those guys on that day, what they had in mind was this little tiny dot. What God had in mind was much bigger and much greater. Let me show it to you a different way. Let me show you in a timeline. The two guys, Cleopas and his friend, walking on the road to Emmaus in 33 AD. See their little dot right there? In their dot, they had hoped that God would rescue Israel. Let me show you the next dot. They never imagined, never imagined, that just 350 years later, guess what? The whole Roman Empire was declared to be a Christian empire. That wasn't even a possibility in their brains in the first dot. That 350 years later, God was going to do way more than rescue Israel. He was going to rescue the entire Roman Empire, and Christianity was going to spread like crazy in about... 1,200 years later, it was going to spread to the Americas, and people were going to be able to worship freely however they wanted. And guess what? A few hundred years later, you would be here at my church hearing this message that it was written and it was decided before the beginning of time would be preached in all of the world. So see, in, in their first dot, they could never, they weren't thinking about you. They were thinking about themselves and what was good for them. In 33 AD, God was thinking about you. I've got to get this message to spread all the way across the world. I've got to get it to Columbus, Georgia, because on August 30th, somebody's going to walk into a church giving God and his church one last chance. And I need them to have the freedom to hear that message. I'll illustrate it this way. Um, Jeff's sister, his baby sister, who he loves and has a a tender spot for, um, she had a son, and then she got pregnant again with the second baby. So we were hoping for a girl, because she's so cute. She would just be the greatest girl mom. And halfway through her pregnancy, you know, when you go in to, for the ultrasound to find out what you're having, it was inconclusive, and the doctor called her back, and the reason he did was because the baby was missing half of her heart. It was a girl. And we got on our knees, and boy, we had hoped that this would be the greatest miracle that God had ever done, that he was just going to like create the rest of her heart right there in the womb, and he was going to save this baby. We had hoped that that would happen. She gave birth to that baby. The baby died six days later on Jeff's birthday, July 26. So brokenhearted, she picks the pieces up, and she starts the adoption process. And if any of you have done that, you know how that goes. Well, she gets paired with a birth mother, and you would not believe what happened. She gets paired with a birth mother whose baby is due on the day, the very date that her baby had passed away. And we were like, God, you're 
so awesome. Oh, you are going to give her another baby on the day she lost. Oh, God, this is awesome. And then seven months into that pregnancy, that baby passed away. And then we kind of got like, God, you're, you're kind of mean. I mean, you're all powerful. You can do something about this. Until one day she gets a call and she hears, can you be in Florida next week? Because we have this baby whose mom has MS and she cannot take care of her. And we just wish you would take care of this little child we named her Macy. And she is the sweetest, most angelic, personality plus she gives Jeff a run for his money child you have ever met in your life and you know what his sister said when she looked at Macy she looked at her and she said for the first time I am so glad I have this child I would not want anyone else except for this one she didn't know that before when what we hope and what God hopes are different the Reality is that we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Now, I know that sounds mean, and I know you're thinking, well, does that mean I can't pray for my kids to be safe? I can't pray for my marriage? What does it matter what I pray if what God wants to happen is already going to happen and it's already written out? Let me just logically, one logical option for you is this. I'm going to give you a logical option, and then I'm going to give you an emotional option because I'm a woman. The logical option is the sooner you can surrender what you want, to what God wants, the easier it is going to be when it doesn't tip your way. Jesus, when he taught his disciples how to pray, he said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. One of the last prayers he said on earth in the Garden of Gethsemane is, God, I don't really want to do this dying on the cross thing, but not my will, but your will. So the sooner we can say, God, I hope, For my children, not what I hope, but what you hope for them. The sooner you can do that, it will help you logically be prepared. Now, let's go emotional, okay? Because I think we need to answer the question, what is it that we believe about hope? Because there are stories and there are hurts that there is no logical explanation for this side of heaven. Like, I cannot make sense out of what God is trying. I mean, I look at this and I can see, okay, maybe God's plan was harder than I could ever imagine, but in the end, it's always greater than you would ever imagine. That is fine until you meet somebody like my friend Nick DiCenzo, who sent her husband off to Iraq. She was in Germany, away from family, away from friends, with a 16-month-old baby, when people in uniforms came and knocked on her door and said, We've just lost your husband. And over the course of the next three years, he got flown back to her in three different urns. And the love of her life, all she ever hoped for was to raise a family with the love. You, like, you can't replay. Another one doesn't fix that. That was her hope and her dream. And this side of heaven, that can never be fixed. And I don't know how to explain that except for those of you who have met Nick DeCenzo. She's one of our greatest small group leaders here. When you meet Nick, she talks about Jesus like it's somebody that lives in her house. When she prays to God, she doesn't call him like God or Father. She calls him Daddy like it's somebody she crawls up and just sits in his lap. 
there are hopes that are lost that in our dot we may never understand on this earth. That in those times we have to decide what is it that we believe about hope. I'd like to suggest to you this morning, not out of my knowledge, but out of people that I know who have lived these very difficult stories, that hope is not what happens to you or what doesn't happen to you. I think hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. See, one of these verses we've been using in this series, Romans 15, 13, says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will completely fill you with joy and peace because you trust in Him, not in what's going to happen to you. Because then you will be completely filled with hope and overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, I think two things. One, I think some of us would never ever get to a place where we got to know Jesus as our hope until we were in a hopeless situation where it didn't matter what happened, it wasn't going to fix it, this side of heaven. Possibly, I don't know. The other thing is, I think God knows us. He made each of us. He made you exactly the way He wanted you to be. And so He knows right when Lisa's about to run out and just fall to pieces, and He might give you like a positive circumstance or a friend or just enough to get you to take another step. And what do we do? We go and put all of our hope in that circumstance. You ever had a house for sale before? And every time somebody comes to look at it, you're like, yes, God is so good. Somebody's looking at our house. It's going to sell. And then they don't make an offer. And then you're back. Or you ever been in the hospital? You ever have somebody you love in the hospital? And every time you get good news, you're on cloud nine. And every time you get bad news. And one time we had, my dad was in the hospital for 100 days. And the doctor said, if you rise and fall on every piece of news you ever get, you're going to be emotionally exhausted. You need to kind of try to just stay even keel. It sounds a lot like a verse in Hebrews that says this hope, it's talking about Jesus, the person of Jesus, is a strong and trustworthy anchor. It's not going anywhere, no matter what happens. It's an anchor for our souls, and it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. See, that hope that we're talking about in Hebrews, that's not something that happens or something that doesn't happen that's not a check or a new house or a car or you got a good report from the doctor we're talking about a person who's walked in your shoes so that no matter what happens no matter what kind of news you get this week you can still have hope because he is the same yesterday today and forever and he is an anchor for our it didn't matter what what if it didn't matter what kind of news you got What if it didn't matter what you were hoping and what God was hoping? What if you could just have a personal relationship with hope? What if you could ask for it anytime you needed it? God, I'm really having a rough week this week. I just, I need some hope. You know, there's a lot of things that God produces in us that are not human nature for us, like love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. If you've ever heard of that, Hope is not one of them. Hope is not something that we can produce. The only source of hope is God. It only comes from Him. I don't think hope is something that happens or doesn't happen. I think it's a person, which leads us to one more question. If hope is a person and it is Jesus, 
then we have to decide what is it that we believe about Jesus. Is he good? Can he be trusted? See, to me, what hurts more than anything is when I need something to happen and I know God could snap his fingers and fix it and he isn't doing it. I talked to a grandmother after the last service who has a grandbaby who has hundreds of seizures today, a day, and she's like, I know God could fix it. I just don't understand why he won't. That hurts. When you get to that place where you're not really sure that God is good and loving, I've told y'all my story before. I went to my sister one time, and I was in just a very hopeless place. And I remember going to her and saying, you know what, I believe in God, that song we just sang, I believe in God the Father, I believe in God the Son. I just, I'm not sure I believe he's good. And I'm not sure if he's good that he loves me. And she said to me what only a big sister could say. She goes, well, where else are you going to go? I said, well, I don't know, but when I figure it out, I'll tell you. <laughs> because here, here's, here's just a suggestion I want to offer if you're not quite ready to bite off on this Jesus is hope thing and he's really good and has my best interest at heart, I want to invite you just to stay, just to sit with them. You know what those two guys did? They just kept walking with Jesus. Jesus didn't even tell them who he was. He knew they weren't ready yet. He just kept walking with them. And when they got close to their house in Emmaus, he was going to keep going. And they're like, wait, 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 wait don't go yet. Just come spend the night, just stay a little longer. And so he came in and he sat with them and he ate with them. And then he did something that only they would know that this was Jesus. Luke 24 tells us that he sat down, he gave thanks, he broke bread and gave it to them. Now we read over that and that sounds like something we do at every meal in the South, right? But for them, the very last time they'd ever been with Jesus at the Last Supper, he had done the same thing. He sat down, he gave thanks first, then he broke the bread, and something about the way he did it, all of a sudden the scripture says that their eyes were open, and they knew this is Jesus, this is hope. I'm not going to try in 30 minutes to convince you that Jesus is the hope of the world and you need to put your trust in him. I would love it if you were at that stage because a lot of us in this room, if you sign up for one of these growth groups, a lot of us can sit with you and we can tell you our story and we can tell you how many years we ran and ran and ran and we kept bumping up against the same reality that hope is not found in what happens or doesn't happen. Hope is found in a person and his name is Jesus. And you can run as far as you want to run away from him. But he will relentlessly pursue you because he loves you and he wants what's best for you. You know what he said to these guys? He said, why are you doubting? Why are you troubled? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's I, myself. See, I believe at some point he will tailor make the very perfect opportunity for you where I don't know what it is because I don't know how you were made, but he's going to do something that you're going to just, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to say, wow, that is Jesus. He's been chasing me all of this time. I didn't realize it was him and he was hope. And so my invitation for you today would be to do just like these guys did. Just keep walking. Just keep walking with us. Come back next week. Try a group out.
Just sit with him a little bit. Let his word soak into your soul just a little bit. Ask him, God, if you're hope, I need you to show me. You made me and you know how to show me. God, if you're hope, I need you to show me. Because you can run, but he will pursue you. Because I believe, Jeremiah 29, 11, that he has a plan and a purpose for you. And that is to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Now, some of us are a little more stubborn than others. And we've got to go through some hopeless valleys in order to finally throw our hands up and say, all right, I've tried everything else. I've run and run. You can spend your whole life being mad at God for what's happened to you. You go right ahead and spend your life being mad at God. You know what? You're still not going to have joy. You're still not going to have peace. You're still not going to have hope. I'm not trying to convince you to believe exactly like we believe, but I'm just saying just stay for a little bit. Just give him a chance to reveal himself to you in a way that only you would understand. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you declaring, God, that every day of our life was already written out before one of them came to be. It's no accident that we're here, that we have the relationships that we have here. God, because thousands of years ago you had us in mind. And God, your plan was to give us a hope and a future. And so God, this morning we cry out to you, be our hope, be our future. Reveal yourself to those of us who aren't sure we're ready to really trust you and we're not really sure you're good, then God, I just ask that you would reveal yourself as the hope of our life and the hope of our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christy, thank you, Christy. Uh, We're going to wrap our service up today, and I'm going to invite our host teams to come forward. We'll close with an offering, but let me give you this last thought as you guys depart today. Picture just this for a moment, that timeline that we showed up on the screen just a moment ago. Think about that, that timeline of just you know, like all of mankind and where we sit uh, and where we're at today. From the beginning of time until now, the God of the world, His number one hope is that He would be our hope. And so every bit of our life, the good, the bad, the struggle, the difficulties, every bit of that, God has been leveraging all of the things that we've placed our hope in, leveraging the highs and the lows of those fleeting things, He's been leveraging those to help us get to the place where He is our hope. That's life summarized. So the greatest news that we could ever have is that there really is an anchor of hope. And it's massive. The very first cruise my wife and I went on, I remember driving up and going like, oh, oh my gosh, look at the size of that boat. And I was like, look at the size of the anchor. Have you seen the anchor of like a big cruise ship? I mean, it's bigger than this whole stage, right? Imagine that times infinity because, not because the size of God, but the size of His love for us. The size of His grace for us. My thoughts are today that some of you, God had you here this morning so you'd hear a message of hope that you would take one simple step to say, Jesus, I don't know all that there is to know, 
But today, I'm going to give, I'm going to ask you, you finally to be my hope. Essentially to say, Jesus, would you be the leader and forgiver of my life? I need you. All these other things that I place my hope in, man, they come and go. But I want you to be my hope. Would you pray with me? And some of you today, might today, in this moment, say, I want to make Jesus the hope of my life today. Let's pray. Lord, we just close simply this conversation up today with maybe a choice for some of us who are on the, the edge of our seats and we have been broken by life. But God, you, you sent your son Jesus into this world to bridge the gap and to mend our hurting hearts and to give us hope, to give us salvation, to give us rest, knowing that life can make sense. We can have purpose and we can have forgiveness and your grace. So Lord, I pray for those that would be here this morning that would say, I've been hopeless, but today, as as little as I may know, I'm going to ask Jesus to be my hope. Simply cry out to heaven and say, Jesus, would you be my leader and forgiver today? That's it. Just believe that He can be He says, if you believe in your heart, I will save you. God, we love you, and I just applaud, God, the fact that you do love us. I am so unlovable. I'm so silly and fickle and, and just full of mistakes, full of brokenness, full of wrong attitudes and wrong thoughts, God. But your grace, your love, it never ends. It's always, always there. You proved that to us by what you did for us on the cross. And today, God, we give you ourselves because you gave yourself to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our guys are going to walk through this uh, room in just a moment. We're going to close with this song. Thank you, Jed, for being our guest today. And maybe it's the first time in church for you, and we do fund this place by, by your giving. Literally, Everything that goes on, the efforts that we make in our city is funded by you. And let me just say this. We say this all the time. If you're a guest, be our guest today. All this is for you. Right? And if you're someone who's here today and you are struggling, and I've had some folks share with me some stuff today, I want you to, as the bucket comes by, I want you to take what you need. Let me pray for this offering. God, use this for somebody else's forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.